0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rurkraut.
1: And I'm Sophia Simonello.
0: And welcome back for episode two of our new season. I know we kind of explained at the end of last episode, but we are so excited to be sharing our new theme for this season. We'll be talking about actors, directors, any other creatives, anybody who we think should have won their award for something else. Whether their win was for something that we just don't like, or we think is wrong, or maybe something that came later in their career that we liked so much more. So I'm really excited for this. I mean, these are retrospectives, so I'm excited to go through these. We have some great ones coming.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited too. And I think, you know, last season we focused on directors a lot, and I'm sure there are directors that will cover this season too for this specific reason, But we haven't really talked about actors and like thinking about their careers specifically through the lens of, you know, why did they win this particular award? How did this happen for them at this point in their career? And oftentimes I think the Oscars that we're going to talk about are ones that people often don't like. They're really divisive, whether it was like critics hated it and audiences loved it, or it's a particularly controversial win. I'm excited to dig into those and see like, you know, maybe the win isn't so bad after all, or maybe it's just as bad as everyone says. So today we're going to be talking about Al Pacino. We thought this was a good follow up to our episode on The Godfather last week, because a lot of people talk about how they think his win for best actor in 1992 for Scent of a Woman was a bad win. And we're going to interrogate that. We're going to talk about who Al Pacino is, what other Oscar nominations he has. We're also going to talk about Scent of a Woman and whether or not we actually think this is a bad win, a bad movie, etc. And then we actually each picked a movie that we thought he should have won for instead. So we'll share our picks at the end. But it was cool, I think, hearing from you guys on Twitter, you know, if you agreed or disagreed. A lot of you shared, actually, our picks that we'll get to later on. But I was kind of surprised that there were some scent of a woman defenders in the mentions. So I think we'll definitely get to that when we talk about that movie. And quickly, just on our choices, the choices that we made didn't have to be Oscar-nominated roles. So thinking about these episodes, we can kind of, we can go off book here, so we don't have to pick... A nominated performance or a nominated film when we're doing these episodes. We can get really creative. But let's start. Al Pacino. What do you think of when you hear the name Al Pacino?
0: Let's see. We have Italian, mobster, yelling, brash. After my like 11 movie Pacino marathon this week, it's kind of fun to see the threads that he's chosen. And I was just kind of all over the place. I didn't watch In Order or anything, which would make more sense. But he was involved with a lot of like courtroom dramas to various extents. Um, (laughs) Him being Satan is... um... Oh my God, I can't (laughs) with that movie. (laughs) What comes to mind for you?
1: I mean, the first thing I think about is his early career. So I think about the 70s and him giving oftentimes these very restrained dramatic performances where he's playing really complex characters who are going through something very serious. So whether that's like looking at The Godfather or Panic in Needle Park where he plays a heroin addict or Dog Day Afternoon like he's he's playing these really intense characters and I think a lot of that comes from his training as a method actor and his stage experience And then I think when I think about later career Pacino, it's just like when when I say later career Pacino, I'm thinking like 1990 on to present day. We have such a combination of over the top, like you were saying, like brash, intense roles in a different way where I think, you know, it's kind of fun to see him have fun, to see him kind of go for it a little bit and ham it up. I personally love him in The Irishman. I thought he was fantastic in that movie. The second he walked on screen, I was so locked into the movie because he's still to this day, I think, an actor that audiences really respond to. One, he's so talented, but two, he's just become this... He's a, He has a very charismatic presence. And, mm-hmm. I mean, he's just such a good public personality, too, like... Him dancing with his cord headphones on the sidewalks in California to his Shrek phone case. I mean, he's just an icon. So I think those are the things that I think of. But what a rich career, really.
0: Yeah, it really has. We started with The Godfather last week, which was really the start of his career. Mm -hmm. And from there, we can go through his nominations at least now and talk about others that we liked along the way. But coming from The Godfather, 1973 three years in a row, having three Best Actor nominations. Those were for Serpico, The Godfather Part Two, and Dog Day Afternoon. And then after that, in 1980, he was nominated again for Best Actor in And Justice for All. After that, 1991 was Dick Tracy, Best Supporting Actor, and then also supporting in 1993 for Glengarry Glen Ross... But that's also when he won Best Actor for Scent of a Woman. And then lastly, like you mentioned, The Irishman Best Supporting Actor from 2020.
1: I mean, the 70s, those are like the big ones you think of, right? Like The Godfathers Mm -hmm. and you have Serpico, which I absolutely just like, I love the stills from that movie, just the pictures of his hair and his beard. It's just prime Pacino content. But a unique slew of nominations. I think we can definitely, when we talk about why he won talk about the dry spell that he had in the 80s like we only have one nomination here he also you know with the scent of a woman win, he became the first actor to be nominated in lead actor and supporting actor in the same year and win for lead actor so it was definitely i think time in the academy's eyes to give him an oscar i want to talk about your journey (laughs) through your pacino movies I guess, what are some non-nominated performances that you feel are like iconic, signature Pacino?
0: Definitely his biggest performance. One that I am just shocked he wasn't nominated for is Scarface. Oh, yeah. I think when people hear Pacino too, that's probably one of the first two or three that they think of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Brian De Palma and Oliver Stone. You see those names come up and you're, you know you're in for a ride. Mm-hmm. So that was just a blast. That was a rewatch for me. I mean, getting that end sequence, say hello to my little friend. Yeah. Like, it's an iconic role for him. Mm-hmm. And then there were a couple others that he wasn't nominated for that I saw. I saw The Devil's Advocate, which I sort of hinted at earlier. That was interesting. I will say some of Keanu's best work as well. And Charlie's.
1: I have trouble with that movie. <laughs> I'll just say that.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah. I didn't exactly love the ending, but two others I saw insomnia and cruising which again problematic Mm -hmm. that was quite a ride I think seeing Pacino in that role in cruising was like such an experience on its own Mm -hmm. apart from the problematic like freaking content and all of that yeah of portraying like gay culture and these bars and whatnot but seeing Pacino do that (laughs) (laughs) And them capturing it through such a straight lens was just hilarious to watch. Pacino trying poppers on the dance floor for the first time was just, like, wild.
1: And, like, (laughs) that's why I wanted you to watch it. Because, like, even though I felt kind of bad recommending it, because it is really problematic, like, it's super thorny, there's been a lot of great discussion on cruising. I definitely recommend, so Criterion Channel... this was like a year or two ago they included it as part of their queer-sided series and cam collins had a really good interview about it Mm -hmm. talking about you know how friedkin is so good at depicting cops specifically in this movie but my thing with that movie too is i always just wonder like why did friedkin make this it
0: finished and i was like why yeah after the french connection like this i don't know
1: i know know. it's like i said it's thorny for sure (laughs) (laughs) But a Pacino experience, definitely. And then you did the Michael Manns, right? Did you do the Insider and Heat?
0: I did like half of Heat and I absolutely love the Insider. Not that I didn't like Heat. There just wasn't enough Pacino. So I was like, okay, another time. But the Insider, also some of Russell Crowe's best work. Mm -hmm. And Pacino is supporting in both of them, but he is great in the Insider. I'm surprised this isn't a nom for him.
1: I love his Michael Mann movies. I watched The Insider yesterday, and I really loved it. I'm also normally like not a huge Russell Crowe fan, but I thought he was phenomenal in it. Like, maybe his best nomination. <laughs> and Heat is probably in my definitely top 100 movies of all time. I love Heat. Um, I can't really explain why. It is just, like, such a ride. I think because I watched it on TNT when I was homesick from school when I was little. And just like really, really loved it. <laughs> when I think of Pacino, I also think of Vincent Hanna and Give Me All You Got. Like I always think of that. So mm-hmm. I think that's why I love Heat as well.
0: Okay. This is like prime De Niro.
1: It is. And um, baby Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. And then what you watched Insomnia, you said?
0: Yeah. Have you seen this? I haven't. This is pretty early Nolan. So it's pre-Batman. It sort of has those memento vibes to it, but it's definitely more of a character-driven drama than the plot itself, and it very much feels like it's Nordic predecessor that it was adapted from.
1: Mm.
0: Pacino's great. Robin Williams is great. Did you watch any different movies? Did you watch any of these nominations here?
1: Yeah, so I will recommend um, The Panic in Needle Park. It is devastating, but definitely, I mean, it's great early Pacino. I think that he could have had a case for winning that year. Um, Definitely a nomination for sure. And it makes sense that Coppola watched that movie and wanted him to play Michael after that movie. So definitely recommend that one. So most of the ones I watched this week, you mentioned. um, So I did the Insider and Heat again. I was on like a Michael Mann bender, which is always fun. And I also just love his role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So not nominated, but I just think he's so memorable. Of course, like now he's become a meme with the what a picture you know, line. <laughs> but yeah, even just how he says his name as Marvin Schwartz, not Schwartz, like little things like that are just so Pacino to me, like adding his own flavor to the characters. I remember when that was coming out and like hearing that he was going to be in it being so excited and Mm -hmm. of course like this is the same year as the Irishman so we got double Pacino that year and the most recent Pacino movie I saw in theaters of course was House of Gucci whether or not we think that works for Pacino I don't know but I mean I think he's always good so I did respond to his performance especially I think compared to the other cast members
0: (laughs) one of the more grounded performances but that's Typical for him.
1: We live to forget House of
0: Gucci sometimes, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And then apart from all of his Oscar nominations, I was surprised to learn that he has two Tony Awards and also two Emmys.
1: Yeah. He has a triple crown of acting, which is really cool. He just needs to read an audiobook or something. Like he needs to play some sort of animal (laughs) in a children's book, some sort of grandpa figure so he can win a Grammy.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about Scent of a Woman. Let's do How it. How we feel about that. <laughs> his win here, again, surprisingly, only has one win, but mm-hmm. this is it. Is it a dumb question for me to ask what this title means?
1: No, not at all.
0: I kept trying to think about it. I'm like, what? Of all the things, they could have named this.
1: I mean, obviously, it connects to his blindness as a character. Like He, he loves women and... I don't know. I don't know how to (laughs) describe it.
0: Okay, I see it. It's just, yes, he has these womanizing ways to him, but Mm -hmm. that wasn't like what the movie was about. And I'm surprised it didn't focus on like the father son aspect or, you know, his like mentoring ways of Mm -hmm. teaching this boy, taking him to New York, anything of that nature. But I will say it is related to my favorite quote from the movie, which should put we need to put like a little warning here like pg-13 going forward
1: (laughs) i mean some of the lines in this movie are crazy i mean they're absolutely nuts like i was cracking up when i was watching this and wrote so many down that i don't know if i can repeat i mean if we want to repeat them we can what is the line that this makes you think of
0: (laughs) tits -ah. (laughs) hooah
1: I have that written down right here. You know, saying that on a plane, that's so great.
0: Do you have any lines related or any lines you want to share?
1: Mm, well, okay. I would say that mine is, there's only two syllables worth hearing. Pussy. <laughs> Incredibly unwell. Um. And then the other one I would say is, that's just like way too on the noses. I'm in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> um. When he said that, I, I did laugh. And I don't think you're supposed to, but I definitely did.
0: They're very on the nose. Yeah. Um, And some just don't make sense. But I would love to have seen him like reading this through and been like, I have to say this. This is my line.
1: I mean, I think he he seems to have fun really in this movie, though. Like he he seems to really be fine going for it.
0: Well, there's an early one with like a Boy Scout reference and he goes, tenderfoot, my foot. (laughs) (laughs) No meaning whatsoever. (laughs)
1: When he says at the Thanksgiving table, you ought to go down on her.
0: <laughs> the whole quote there is, you got to go down on her. You've been so busy with work, you forgot the real taste of honey.
1: Why did you have to remind me? There is a reason I definitely <laughs> cut that there out in my notes. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> there was a little ellipsis there that I forgot. So thank you for the kind reminder. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Mm-hmm. So really... Besides the quotes that we are just saying just because they're funny, what do you think of the movie? Like, was this your first time watching it? Did you like it aside from Pacino?
0: It was a first time watch. Like 13 minutes in, I was ready to turn it off. It was just way too long and it was like clearly showcasing Pacino. So Uh like, it's hard to separate that and put that aside. But as a story, I think it's like pretty standard. Mm -hmm. Boy Needs Money he needs to go to school. They find a reason to help him. Pacino's the reason. He takes him on this wild weekend. And then he ends up maturing and then helping him out as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty standard. So, But also the whole premise of we're waiting for this trial because the principal wants him to rat his friends out. Like That was one of the main points of the movie. And that's when we get the big Pacino scene at the end over in for form. Mm-hmm. I have trouble with that as like the reason for this movie happening.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like the central conflict there or the central journey rather of these two people needing each other in some way, right? At first, they're resistant to it. Charlie, he takes this assistant job because you know, he's going to college in New England and he his family's from Oregon. He can't travel home. So he takes this job to assist Frank Slade, Al Pacino's character, who is incredibly crotchety. Like Before we even see him, we hear him, which is fun, I think, if you are waiting for Pacino to hear him in this way. But yeah, I think if it's focused on that relationship, there's definitely, I think, something there that a lot of these movies especially at the time right the late 80s the early 90s really into the early 2000s they focus on these types of stories like we do have a mm-hmm. lot of these like high school or college student mentor type of relationship with a faculty member or with a parent or you know i thought a lot about goodwill hunting when i started watching it because of the setting itself um that movie is very different but i think mm-hmm. that type of movie that like tug at your heartstrings Film that worked at the time. And so it makes sense that this movie did really well at the box office. It made over a hundred million dollars worldwide, and it did wow. pretty well with critics. Um, a lot of people really liked Pacino's performance and it has semi-mixed reviews, but it it wasn't considered, I would say, a bad movie at the time. um not like people think of it today. I totally agree with you, though. I think like the part of the movie that's about, the fact that they played this prank on this teacher and vandalized his new car, that's not that high stakes. And to have that kind of be your beginning and end, like your intro and your conclusion to your movie is mm-hmm. odd. Yep. I think, yeah, if it focused more on the story between these two men, I think it would have been better for me, for sure. The script was tough, but I had to remind myself, I think, of what time we were in. This is... 1992 these types of movies were just like i said very popular then and right when i heard the thomas newman score too i was like okay yes here we go this is very much Mm -hmm. like a product of that time and i can see why people would like this it made me think of um, john williams's score in the accidental tourist like it just feels very much of that time and i think we'll maybe try to find some of the merits with his performance um in a minute I will say this movie dragged for me um, in certain parts as well because, like, certain scenes, I kind of thought, like, why is this a full scene? Like, why why are we watching him tango for this long? The pacing felt very off to me, and it was it was hard, I think, to stay in the story because of that. Mm-hmm. And, like, him driving the Ferrari, like, I, I get why these scenes are important to that character, but... It just felt like much more of a Pacino showcase than something that was necessary for the good of the film.
0: I mean, why I was kind of bored so early on was that he was sitting in his chair talking to Charlie and this conversation wasn't even really a conversation. It was Pacino talking Mm -hmm. and it just went on for like five plus minutes of him and his army voice. And I was like, okay, I get it. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's let's make this happen because we know it's going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, the very dated writing, his comments about women aside, the script just is why it falls flat for me. I will say, though, I enjoyed seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was a surprise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was so good at playing that role. It almost felt like an audition for the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know he was in this either, and seeing him especially in the end when he like gets so fidgety and kind of shrivels inside himself you can see him playing different characters Mm -hmm. and that's why we love Philip Seymour so much
1: yeah definitely and it was fun seeing Frances Conroy at the end too because I feel like I only associate Frances Conroy now with like very spooky things Um, she always has Mm -hmm. this very strange presence that comes through in her roles so it was interesting I think seeing her in this really warm role at the end, connecting with the Pacino character.
0: And we have to mention June Squibb, who shows up as the teacher. We
1: Bradley Whitford, who's in that famous Thanksgiving scene that we talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get into the performance. I feel like let's just talk about it regardless of the Oscar stuff. So not thinking about his win, like, what do you think of this performance in particular? Like, does it work?
0: I mean, yeah, I think it works. It's just that as i'm watching this experiencing his performance i'm like of course the academy goes for this like loud unrestrained performance where we've seen like more control happening in films before this and i'm like okay great now i know for future years just to keep predicting like the big performances mm-hmm. because that's what's happening but i think apart from oscar stuff for right now like he has quite a few key scenes that could have been his Oscar scene Mm -hmm. where I'm like okay check the box it's captivating like it makes sense
1: I agree I actually don't hate this performance I really don't I found a lot to enjoy watching him specifically and I think it's easy to be very critical of it because he won and like maybe it wasn't the best performance in the category but that aside I think like just focusing on the merits of the performance Here he's able to show that he can do comedy. He made me laugh throughout this movie. (laughs) And I feel like before he was very much a dramatic actor and focused a lot on drama. So I feel like that's something that is working in his favor. I also think like this type of character can be really difficult to come up with or to create. Like he has a lot of energy as an actor kind of like we talked about right he especially is bringing that out later in his career and I think that this is the first performance where he was able to do that in this way he definitely does it in the godfather part two I would say in particular but it has to still be um, very very restrained there so I think that you know he's able to do that really well here channel his energy into some big moments Like you said, he has so many scenes here where he's able to show how emotional he can be as an actor. And, you know, he's able to also like he plays a blind person. And we talk about him being a method actor, like he went to go, um, he actually visited institutions for the blind. He taught himself how to like unfocus his eyes, which of course, you know, actors always method actors always love to talk about this but i read that he um actually got an eye injury while filming this because he fell down when he was unfocusing his eyes oh no so yeah i mean he's he's doing that transformative thing here and i just don't like the movie and i think too it's like if you don't like the movie and the movie is basically a showcase for him it's very hard to come away loving the performance so i'm not there but I can definitely I think see its merits. I'm trying to Mm -hmm. think positively (laughs) about it I would say.
0: So the competition that he had in the category here we had Robert Downey Jr. from Chaplin and he had won the BAFTA, Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven, Stephen Rea for The Crying Game and Denzel Washington for Malcolm X. So compared to these would you still have chosen Al Pacino? Would you have chosen somebody else? What do you think?
1: I absolutely would have chosen Denzel for Malcolm X. Uh, This to me is a really easy call. And I feel like what Denzel does to transform throughout this three hour plus biopic into a really notable and complex historical figure is incredibly impressive. People win for biopics all the time, but this is an actual... Like, realized nuanced biopic performance. This, I wish we got more biopic performances like this because we see them every year. But here, you know, we get to see his collaboration with Spike Lee. And I feel that it's totally a deserved win for him. And so I think that, like, that is part of the problem that I have with Pacino's win here is just that I think Denzel's better. And it's always hard when a more deserving person loses, even if you like the person who wins as an actor. What about you?
0: I would have said Denzel as well. You know, I'm kind of surprised that the biopic performance didn't win here. But I get that like he was a younger actor at the time. He had been acting for a while. So it's not like this was early in his career. Mm -hmm. Earlier for sure. But the movie just wasn't as well received either, which like, Mm-hmm. Again, no surprise, right. but it only had nominations for Denzel and costume design. God, we had talked about this movie on here
1: yeah, a like a while ago. One of our really early episodes when we talked about <laughs> Five Bloods, so like forever ago, yes. we watched it for that. And I think like if you look at the rest of the category too, like The Crying Game, super controversial. Chaplin, like that feels also like a biopic performance where it's like he won the BAFTA, but it's very much like the nomination is the win. And then you have Clint Eastwood, who it's like, that's when the Academy says, okay, we liked him in this movie, but we can give him something else because he's dominated other places, and they did. So it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense that they decided to go with Pacino instead of Eastwood there, even though Unforgiven won Best Picture and Best Director and Best Supporting Actor, and you can keep going. But I feel yeah. like if people wonder like why that didn't happen for Eastwood, I mean, the Academy just they had other options for him. And that's what they did.
0: And I think by this point, he had all these nominations. I mean, he wasn't nominated again for almost 30 years. So maybe by this point, it was like kind of for his time, like, let's finally do it, please.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about why he won, why Pacino ended up winning. I think the first thing there is the thing we talk about all the time that happens at the Oscars, which is the It's Time Award right it's time to give pacino his oscar finally and i have this book called the big picture by william goldman which i love it has like great oscar insight in it pacino he said an absolute lock to win use the word lock (laughs) like right after nominations and he said that why he thought pacino was a lock is he said he's been hosed more than anybody like that was the first reason it's like everyone saw how many times he'd lost before and they were like okay Mm -hmm. This is the time. This is the one.
0: Yeah, it makes sense.
1: I think we also have to talk about the Academy's love in particular during that time in Best Actor of rewarding actors for playing characters who aren't neurotypical or who are differently abled. Like this was a big deal in the Academy at the time. Like if you look Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man, then you have Daniel Day-Lewis for My Left Foot. Then you can skip a couple. But then you get Pacino for Scent of a Woman. Two years later, you get Tom Hanks for Forrest Gump. Like, this is just, the Academy loved doing this. And it just kind of fits, right? Like, they can see, like, oh my god, Pacino. He transformed into a blind man. Mm -hmm. Like, that just feels like something the Academy would love. And they did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, when he was sitting in his chair early on and, like, fumbling, trying to pour his own drink. Mm Mm-hmm. And Charlie watching him do this, like, that to me, like, there were so many alarms going off in my head of, like, (laughs) they are showing this and they are getting your attention Mm -hmm. and it is working.
1: Yeah. You hit on this earlier, too. Like, you have so many Oscar scenes. Like, I think about us doing our Contenders series. Like, if we were doing this back in 92, 93, we would have a hard time picking what we thought his mm-hmm. Oscar scene should be because you have, like, again, him dancing, him driving the Ferrari, the big speech at the end where he we get the final hoo mm-hmm. and everyone cheering we get when he threatens to kill himself. Like, we get so many of those scenes that you could pick from. So I feel like that's also definitely part of it. And actors love that. Like, we've talked about many times. And I think, too, it's like when we were talking about his nominations and that big gap, like, this was a perfect comeback narrative for him. He was in so many good movies that the Academy loved, and they didn't recognize him when it was time. And here, it was just kind of a perfect storm of factors, really. Like, he'd been gone for so long. Like, he he hadn't been back to the Oscars, so I feel like they missed him a little bit. And you get this role that is just, like, perfect Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. I feel like people hate this win because the movie hasn't aged well and because he beat Denzel. And he just... The bar was so high for him. Like, so high. If you think about how good he is in some of those early movies, yeah, it's easy to say, I think, that it doesn't measure up to those. A question that we'll ask in all of these episodes is just, would you rather Pacino win for Scent of a Woman, like, you keep this win, or would you rather him not have any wins at all? <laughs> like, you can't go back in time and pick your favorite or my favorite or anything, like it's this one or bust. What do you do?
0: Hmm. Fascinating. Well, obviously, it's to give him an Oscar. I mean, it's not that I hate the role. It's exactly what you said. I think it could have been refined. I think the movie could have been cut down quite a bit, but still showcased him just as much. I have fewer issues with Pacino than I do with like the writing and the editing. I'm not trying to take Pacino's Oscar away.
1: (laughs) Well, I feel like, I mean, I'm asking it because like there might be some later on where we might just be like, you know what? Uh No, but I'm with you. I would would keep it. I think knowing what we know now too, like Denzel gets one, he gets two. And I Mm -hmm. love his training day win in particular. We're maybe proving the Academy's point as to why they do this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the other side to that is if he hadn't won, what would we have chosen him to win for? So that'll be the second part of this conversation. So go ahead, let us hear what your pick is for his Oscar.
1: Okay, so this will surprise approximately zero people. <laughs> my favorite performance ever by a man who wasn't nominated for an Oscar is Donald Sutherland and Ordinary People. But I think my favorite performance by a man who was nominated and didn't win is Al Pacino in The Godfather Part Two. I absolutely love this performance. I love this movie. I think that it is a perfect movie, specifically a perfect movie for me. Um, It definitely just fits with the type of movie that I really love. And I'm not going to talk about the movie too much because we'll definitely, I think, you know, in a couple years, we'll celebrate the 50th anniversary of part two. We can do that then. But The Godfather part two is more emotionally complex than the first one which is why I really like it. It feels like this great work of literature. You can always find new things in it. You can find new ways to think about the characters, especially Michael. And I feel like for the movie to be successful, you have to have an actor who's able to carry the weight of that epic. And he does that. And he gives us, I think, some of the most beautiful um, scenes that we've ever had. And, you know, oftentimes great Paintings, great films, great novels, they're dismissed outright in their time, or they're given mixed reviews, or they don't win awards. And this is the case with Pacino. I think that his performance here is so complex, you need some time away from it. It needs time to breathe. And part one proves, like we talked about with Dana, it shows Michael's rise, and part two shows his fall. And I feel like Pacino depicts that fall perfectly and part two completely destroys him. And you see all of the facets of this character. He's brilliant, he's good looking, he's violent, he's evil, he's the worst person in the world, (laughs) really. Mm -hmm. Um and he just he brings that character to life and we have so many incredible scenes. The scene with Fredo where he says, You broke my heart and he kisses him. It's Mm -hmm. just beautiful. Sometimes I just like think of how he is and how you can see him boiling in the scene when Kay tells him that she had an abortion is insane. It is just like spectacular acting. And I love it. That's why it's my favorite performance of his. It's why it's my favorite performance to never win. Best actor. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think he should have won for it. And we can talk about why he did not and why. It makes me sad.
0: <laughs> That's a great choice. I did rewatch this as well. And having a character that can play Godfather part 1 and then do part 2 which is like so different and like you said so much more emotionally complex you're seeing him break down inside and kind of he's letting all of these things around him get to him mm-hmm. whereas in one he was kind of learning and setting the stage for what was to come so seeing him as this powerful don it's a much scarier character than what we knew before. And I think there's so much more with the actual plot and like what's happening with Michael versus trying to teach audiences about this world and what we're getting into. Mm -hmm. So I think that really helps shine his character as well.
1: I agree. So thinking about why he didn't win for this, I actually think that two lines that Kay says in her speech to Michael, I think describe how I feel about the academy. I would yell, but I'm a little sick, so my voice isn't good. But she says, because this must all end. I know now that it's over. And I knew it then. That's how I feel about the Oscars, really. Are we ever going to get <laughs> the right person winning for the right role? I don't know. It's rare. Anyway, he didn't win. And it's not like he lost to someone who I would say put up a fight, really. Like, gave the a better performance So our nominees that year, we had Albert Finney for Murder on the Orient Express, Dustin Hoffman for Lenny, Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, and our winner was Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Have you ever seen Harry and Tonto?
0: I did not know what Harry and Tonto was until I did research for this. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, This is the only time that movie comes up is when people are doing this right here. (laughs) and the reason why i've seen it is because of this exact reason i was like you know what i'm gonna give it a chance because you also have jack nicholson in chinatown which is like batting a thousand type of performance but art carney is playing this elderly man and tonto is his cat and it is about their journey (laughs) so that's what happened it's it's not not great makes me sad but I mean, why it happened, Art Carney was really respected. Like, he was, I yeah. think, known for his his role in radio, and he was in The Honeymooners. Like, he had a big TV career, too. So I feel like that part of the Academy just really, they wanted him to get the award. They wanted to celebrate him. And Pacino didn't go to the Oscars, so he didn't really care. And I feel like you need to fight for these things. But... It's interesting that Jack Nicholson, I think, at the time was supposed to win. Like, he was going to be the one that people thought, like, he's got this locked up. Chinatown is a five-star film. It had quite a few nominations, and he didn't end up winning. So Art Carney won.
0: And then you have Art getting his only nomination for this Mm -hmm. almost 30 years after he started acting. So at this point, again, for your time, like, this is probably... Maybe going to be the only nomination he's going to get, and that definitely helped him.
1: So why didn't this happen for Glenn Close? <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's an outlier. We can
1: Okay, we can't do that. That's, an- there that's another. There is no time. reason. That's another time.
0: <laughs> trying to figure.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, and I think just like when we're thinking about this in the Godfather Part Two, to me, he's best in show. Obviously, like I said, everything I said about mm. what I love about this performance, but. If I had to pick an actor from the movie to win, it would have been him. Even though I think De Niro is great and deserving of supporting actor, still would have given it to Pacino.
0: And then if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be for Pacino?
1: It would. Like, it would be over picture and director, yeah.
0: I think in this case, we can allow pictures. So that's surprising.
1: I would have given Chinatown picture. I mean, I love both of them. They're both all timers for me. But if I had to split it... If I had to, like, think about it that way, I would have done Pacino. I also would have been okay. fine with Nicholson winning and giving part two picture. Okay, time for your pick. What did you go with?
0: As much as I wanted to, like, talk about some crazy movie and just have fun with this, I was like, I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. I know. <laughs> and I kept watching these movies and I was, like, I enjoyed Pacino, but it, there was nothing that, like, really, really stuck out to me. And that also wasn't something that we had talked about before. So we've talked about this movie a little bit mm-hmm. when we cover the 1975 Oscars, but I chose Dog Day Afternoon.
1: Good choice.
0: An incredible collaboration between Sidney Lumet and Al Pacino, also some other greats. But this movie comes right after The Godfather Part Two, And in a different way from that movie, Pacino's giving us controlled, but such range Like, I love who he is playing here, because I think this performance definitely requires the perfect actor who plays this anti-hero. And we talked about that with Dana, too, about The Godfather. So all of these roles really do align with each other. But you need to root for Pacino, who, in this true story, the crowd is rooting for him, too. And to put yourself in that mindset of, you know, this happening in real time and these people watching is just... So fascinating. The thing that really got me in the performance was when he starts chanting Attica. You know, we just got this documentary where we learned about what he's talking about now. So to understand that, but then also to have the people, everyone's riled up and he is playing to the cameras basically, but he's smart. He knows what he's doing. He's not stupid. He goes in that bank knowing about all of the tricks that they can pull on him and I think what we uncover what he uncovers in this performance isn't really where I expected it to go Mm -hmm. and at this point I've watched this like yearly yeah and it it's a great movie
1: I agree I feel like the performance here the degree of difficulty is insanely high like you you have to be able to pull off so much it's crazy to think about how The Godfather Part 2 was one year before this. Like, he played these characters back to back, and they are so different. I think you also, in the movie, you are focused on his character the entire time. So it's very much, I think, in The Godfather Part 2, yes, Michael is our main character, but you have a lot of other stories that are intersecting. You have so many different conflicts that are going on. Whereas here you are totally focused on Pacino the entire movie. Like he has to hold you the whole time because that's what the story demands. So I, yeah, I think this is a great choice.
0: And in terms of scenes that showcase his performance, I think, you know, one that really hits is when he's writing his will at the end. Mm -hmm. I think by this point in the movie, you've seen him try to calm Sal down because he's freaking out. Someone else has already backed out from this robbery. And then he's also facing off against the cops. It's like that bigger Pacino that we get, but Mm -hmm. it's not over the top. So then by the end, he's just totally drained and he knows where he's at. Like he's writing his will and he's facing the facts that he could die. Like he knows this is the end. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really humbling moment to see him there. And it just proves my point again that he deserves to win for this. But I guess why he didn't win... Our winner that year was Jack Nicholson for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Our other nominees were James Whitmore for Give Him Hell, Harry, Maximilian Schell for The Man in the Glass Booth, and Walter Matthau for The Sunshine Boys. I think clearly a two-man race, but Mm -hmm. in the end, Jack ended up just sweeping. He won everything except for the LA film Critics Circle, which went to Al. So I think this is less of like... Why didn't Alwyn since Jacket Swept and then that movie won the Big Five? Again, another movie we talked about.
1: I think with Nicholson, we have a combo of they love the movie. It won the Big Five. They clearly just adore the film. But also, he didn't win for Chinatown. So we have the next year, like, they're honoring him as a makeup as well. And in his case, it just happens to be for a really good performance. And I think you could say, like, realistically... Nicholson could have won both of these and deserved both of them too like he's definitely Mm -hmm. a fun factor when you think about like the movies that we picked I wouldn't be mad about either of those and then if you could give this movie one Oscar would it be Pacino
0: Ooh, this is tough I really don't remember what I said I'm gonna have to say no
1: wow okay
0: Wow, this whole theme, and yeah. I'm not even giving it to oh him. Oh, my
1: God. This is what makes <laughs> this fun, though, because we really get to like have hindsight and look back on it and with everything that we know now and mm-hmm. decide what we would do.
0: Oh, oh, wow. That hurts. But I think I would give it to Lumet because he never won for anything. Well, and looking back, if Pacino has something, like, okay, fine.
1: That's insanity.
0: <laughs> but I do love the direction... I love how this movie is put together apart from Pacino's performance. Mm.
1: I think that's fair. I mean, Lumet's not a bad choice at all. Okay, so that was our first episode in this new series. Please let us know if you have suggestions for who we should cover this season. I think we can tease some that we'll definitely cover. We will for sure be talking about Kate Winslet. We'll definitely be talking about Martin Scorsese for The Departed. Those are some that always pop into my mind. Are there any others that come into your mind right away? It's like, we have to talk about these.
0: I mean, we hinted at Glenn Close. So I feel like that's just like, but she never won.
1: Well, we could do Jodie Foster for the accused. We can also like, that's the thing too about this is that we can do episodes on people who have multiple. Let's say they have a really good win and a win that we don't like as much. Mm -hmm. We can interrogate that and see why that happened.
0: I like that. Yeah, I think some really big ones. I mean, we'll definitely have to do Meryl too
1: oh yeah as like
0: a retrospective she would be fun maybe Leo
1: oh definitely when we talk Leo. about killers
0: of the flower moon mm-hmm. so apart from the big ones yeah let us know if you have any other favorites or problematic wins that you would love for us to fight over
1: <laughs> and we were pretty much in agreement today but I can see mm-hmm. that not happening for some other ones that we talk about Next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be talking about some 2022 releases. With Oscar season really happening in the first quarter of the year, we didn't talk about like any new releases hardly. So we'll each be picking some recommendations of movies that we've seen, things that people are talking about, and we'll also be talking about Robert Eggers' new movie, The Northman, which I can't wait to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot to chew on. I'm excited to see this. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm really curious if you'll like it. I just... Um, I don't remember how you feel about Eggers, so I'm curious what you will think.
0: I'm curious myself. There are <laughs> maybe a few things working against me. Already.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk about things like maybe The Batman, Everything Everywhere All at mm-hmm. Once, a lot of different movies we can, we can mm-hmm. go
0: through. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod.
1: Thanks, everyone. See you next time.